0: I invite you to open your Bibles to start this morning to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, if you have your Bible open to Mark 4, don't worry, we'll be back there very quickly. But I want to start by perhaps directing our minds to an interesting question. Acts chapter 1, this is immediately after Jesus has not only resurrected from the dead but then ascended to heaven. Verse 12 picks up immediately after that. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, perhaps the same upper room that Jesus had his last supper with them at, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, now listen to this, the number of names together were about how many? 120. Now, we have been looking as we have been working our way through the book of Mark, The crowds came around Jesus to such a phenomenal extent that at times he couldn't even eat. So many people, thousands of people, were flocking to him to hear his teaching and perhaps even more directly to experience his miracles and be healed. Thousands! And now he has died and he has risen from the dead. And he has ascended up into heaven. And what is the residue left behind of the people who called themselves disciples of Jesus Christ? How many? 120. Of the thousands, tens of thousands, that had flocked around him throughout his earthly ministry. Now, friends, that's not a very good retention rate. And it leads to this question. How does the greatest preacher who ever lived, the greatest preacher who ever lived at his death and ultimate ascension has 120 people that are following him? No one ever preached more authoritatively than Jesus of Nazareth. People, even the scribes themselves, couldn't believe how authoritative he was. No one could give better illustrations than Jesus of Nazareth. No one could speak with the kind of giftedness that he did. The crowds were wowed by it. And yet only 120 were following him. You say, well, okay, I've got a theological explanation to that. It's because the Holy Spirit hadn't yet come. But when the Holy Spirit came, then the doors were blown off. And people began identifying as Christ followers. Well, that's true to an extent. We see on the day of Pentecost thousands of people coming to follow Christ. But then follow the Apostle Paul. If Jesus of Nazareth was the greatest preacher, certainly we might say that the Apostle Paul has to be number two or close there. And then we follow his ministry. And we realize that when he went from place to place very often, He was broadly rejected, and only a very small segment followed him. Do you remember when he went to Athens in Acts chapter 17 and preached one of the most interesting and illuminating and philosophically um, precise messages that has ever been preached to these learned Athenians? And what happened? When he got to the resurrection of the dead, people started mocking him. Other people said, well, I guess he's interesting, but maybe we'll hear you again. And only a certain few actually clave, stuck to him and followed what he was saying. Why is it that the word can be faithfully preached? Not only faithfully, powerfully preached. And yet so significantly rejected. I was reading um, uh, some old records that we had in this church dating way back to the very early days of our church. And something just stopped me dead in our tracks. Someone had been making notes of what had been going on at the church and what they had been burdened about. And one of the questions that stuck in their minds was, if the word is being faithfully preached, why aren't, isn't there more of a response And if any of you were privileged to sit under my father's ministry, you know what an eloquent and powerful and gifted preacher he was. And they were grappling with exactly this. If the word is being preached, why isn't there more of a response? And that is true, I think, of every faithful gospel pastor. Is it some problem that I don't see? Why isn't there more of a response? And when we ask this question, we're exactly at the place to understand the parable of what is called the sower from Mark chapter 4. Go back to Mark chapter 4 and to one of the most famous parables that Jesus ever gave Now, as I was confronting to preach this parable, as we continue to work through the book of Mark together, I had to decide, are we going to spend one sermon on this or many? You could spend a dozen sermons on this parable and not fully bring it out. I'm just going to take it in one because Jesus gave it in one sermon. He explained it in one sitting. And I think it is most powerful to us when we really try to understand its main point and apply it in light of that. But what is going on in this parable? Well, step back and remember the context here. Jesus has been preaching to large crowds and now a dedicated opposition has stood up against him. These Pharisees who are nitpicking everything he does, who are even accusing him of, of casting out devils by the devil himself, they have accused him of having a supernatural demonic power and his opposition has sprung up and Jesus is preaching. And then last time we were in this passage two weeks ago, we talked about parables. The disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, why are you speaking in parables? What's the meaning of this parable? And Jesus explained to them he hadn't always been speaking in parables. He had started speaking in parables now. Why? Because it had a two-sided effect. Jesus told a story, and no one understood it. Jesus' disciples didn't understand it. The Pharisees didn't understand it. The crowd didn't understand it. But we, what we understood two weeks ago is that Jesus did this knowingly and intentionally. Because it was like a sorting mechanism. It was like a sifting mechanism. Like when you, like when you put something in one of those strainers, and you strain the water through it, and what you want remains, and what is extra goes Through the strainer and is gone. And Jesus gave these mysterious parables that people didn't understand because some people looked at it with hard hearts and said, I don't care to understand. Doesn't make sense to me. I don't think it's that important. And they went on their way. And we understood two weeks ago that was a judgment against them. It was a judgment for their hard hearts. It was confirming those hard hearts. It was just like water off a duck's back. But yet we also saw the other side of that coin, that there were those whose hearts were open, they were ready to receive, and they weren't content with getting a parable they didn't understand and going home. They came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, explain this parable. We didn't get that one. And what does Jesus say? Okay, let me tell you. And it's the same, friends, even to this day for all of us. The word goes out, And the question is, are you moving away from the word or are you moving toward the word? Are you moving away from the speaker of the word, Jesus the Christ, or are you moving toward him? If you are not moving toward him, friend, you are moving away from him. And we understood the importance of drawing to Jesus in response to his word. And now Jesus is going to explain this parable to them. What is this parable? It's a very simple one, but yet has caused so much confusion. Let's just bring it out very briefly. Look with me at verse number three. Jesus says, Hearken, listen, behold there went out a sower to sow. So a guy goes out and he's going to be sowing probably seed of wheat or seed of barley, and he's gonna to toss the seed by hand out on his field. And verse four tells us, and it came to pass as he sowed, as he was tossing the seed, some bell fell by the wayside, the pathway, the hard, beaten down path, and the fowls of the air, the birds came and devoured it up. Can't you just see this picture? This guy's just flinging seed out, and some of it falls on the packed down ground or right off that road. There's no topsoil. It's just packed down and calloused. And what happens? The birds say, here, this looks like a great meal. And they swoop down, and they eat it. Something very obvious for us to think about. Verse 5, And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Now, we can understand this as well. Jesus isn't talking about Soil that has rocks in it. He's talking about soil that is over a rocky place, like think of like a cliff or a little rock outcropping, and it only has a little bit of topsoil on it. It has more than the pathway had, but it only has a little bit. It only has a thin surface layer of topsoil. So that seed goes into the topsoil and it springs up right away. But then what happens? The sun rises and it scorches that plant and because it had no root it couldn't get down deep into the soil it was blocked by the bedrock by the limestone and it scorched and it dies look at verse 7 and some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no fruit again another picture some of the seed goes out where there's weeds these thorn bushes that would rise up in Palestine to some height And the farmers there would have known exactly what this would have required. The thorns would have come up and taken all the moisture, taken all of the nutrients. And so what happens to the wheat plant? It's choked and it yields no fruit. No seeds, no wheat, no kernels are produced by that plant. And then look at verse 8. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth. Now look at this. Some 30 and some 60 and some 100." You say, what's he talking about? It springs up and produces, it multiplies. You put one seed in the ground and how many kernels do you get back? 30. That's a pretty good ratio. You put one seed in the ground and how many do you get back in the crop? 60? You put one seed in the ground and how many come back up with the crop? 100? That's explosive multiplication. Now, Jesus tells this story, and the disciples come to him and says, can you can you explain that one to us? We didn't understand that. And notice what Jesus says. In verse 13, he says, know ye not this parable, don't you know this? And how then will you know all parables? If you don't get this one, how are you going to get any of them? Well, the question for you and for me today is, do you get this one? Do you understand What Jesus is communicating to us today in a way that will be very meaningful to our spiritual life? Are you ready to hear Jesus' parable and apply it to ourselves? The title of the message this morning is The Word, Hearing, and Hindrance. The Word, Hearing, and Hindrance. And I want to start here, first of all, with just the picture itself the picture itself, because Jesus is going to explain this to us. Notice in verse 14, he says, The sower sows the word, and these are they, so the word is the word of the kingdom, the word of God, the word of the gospel, and he says, These are they by the wayside where the word is sown, the word is spoken and preached, but when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And you'll go on to see that in each one of these pictures, Jesus is making some things clear. The first is this. Everyone has the same sower. There's not multiple sowers with multiple different methods of tossing out the seed. The same sower is throwing the same seed on ground, on his field. Exact same seed. No difference. And not only that, Jesus wants to emphasize something else. He wants to emphasize that every one of these people heard the word. Now notice this with me. Verse number 15 says, But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word. Go down to verse 16. Who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. Look at verse 18, those sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And then look at verse 20, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word. So notice you have some things that are completely identical. The same sower, the same seed, and the same hearing. The word is preached, the word is heard, and it's the exact same seed. But here is the puzzle. Why is it that it has such a profoundly different response? The same sower, the same seed, the same hearing, some produce fruit and some produce none. Now, there are some in Christian circles today that teach that these soils represent different people, one of whom is unsaved, but three of whom are truly born-again people. One common explanation is to say the person who just falls by the pathway, the seed that falls on the pathway, and the birds come and eat it up, that person has never accepted Jesus. But the other three, they're just saved people in different kinds of relationships with God. They're at different stages in their Christian life. Some of them are carnal, and then the one that produces fruit, that's the good one. And I just want to step back for just a moment and look at it from the perspective of the sower. When you're a farmer and you go out to throw seed out, precious seed, by the way, valuable seed to you, and you throw it, and it falls on the pathway, and the birds come and eat it, and there's not any discernible trace of a seed, is from your perspective, is that a success or a failure? Complete failure. The seed didn't do what its purpose was, what your goal for it was. Now go to the second one. You throw seed on very thin topsoil and it goes down and springs up and then you come back one day and it's dead, lying flat on the ground. No wheat to be be produced. From your perspective, is that a success or a failure? Failure. The wheat didn't do what it was supposed to do. Take the third one the one in the thorns. You throw seed and it goes among the thorns and it springs up, but then it gets choked out and it doesn't produce any wheat at all. From your perspective as a sower, is that a success or is it a failure? It's a failure. I don't think Jesus is trying to say there are all kinds of different Christians and some of them look like this and some of them look like this and some of them look like this. He's saying there's one success when the word goes into someone's heart, its purpose is to produce life and fruit. Its entire goal is to spring up. And if it doesn't produce that effect from the perspective of the sower, it is a failure, it is not a success. Now, don't get me wrong. Are there things that we can learn as Christians? Have you, have you, has your life ever looked like it's been among the thorns? and not producing a lot of fruit my life has. So don't take this to mean, oh, Pastor Peter's saying if your life looks like it's among the thorns right now, you're not saved. No, that's not what Jesus is intending to communicate. But he is making a broader point. What does success look like? It looks like springing up and producing fruit. That is the characteristic of a born-again Christian. Now, I want you to see something else here that should be a puzzle. Not only do do three of these soils produce absolutely nothing, but one of these soils produces something astonishing. Have you ever thought what 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold growth looks like? Now, scholars and commentators have debated over how miraculous a produce this was, and I'm persuaded by those who said this was phenomenal growth. In fact, it said that in Palestine of that time, what might be a decent return would be fivefold, five times, maybe even ten times in really good conditions. And what does Jesus say? My word, this seed that goes down produces 30, 60, and even 100. Now, why did he pick these numbers? Well, I don't know for sure, but one idea. You may remember back in Genesis chapter 26... Isaac is in the land of Egypt, and it said of him that the Lord blessed him. And do you know what the evidence that the Lord blessed him was? Because his crop produced a hundredfold. Hundredfold. Miraculous sign of God's favor. I don't think Jesus was, was blind. To the analogy that he was making. He was pointing back to these Jews something they would have known about being blessed abundantly by God in a hundredfold return, miraculous kind of return. So notice, this powerful seed goes in one set of soils and produces zero. And the same powerful seed goes in another kind of ground and produces this explosive, miraculous growth. Now, what's Jesus trying to say? Well, let's look first, not just at the picture, but then secondly at the problem. What is the problem in this difference between the seed that produces nothing and the seed that produces nothing? multiplication, explosive growth. Well, let's start with the first one. Go to verse 15 with me, will you? And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, so they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, what's going on here? Jesus is telling us the problem of those who hear the word but do not receive it. They hear it, but they do not receive it. And he attributes this to the work of the devil himself who takes the powerful life-giving seed and snatches it up. Do you know what we could say this is? It's simply a kind of confusion or distraction The person who comes in to hear the word of God preached and they listen to it and they say, I don't get that. I don't understand that. Was that you before you came to Christ? There was a period of time where the gospel of Jesus Christ just didn't make sense to you? And then one day it did. And now today as it's resonated and grown in your heart, you say, how could I not have gotten it before? How could I not have understood it before? And the Bible tells you exactly what that is. Second Corinthians four says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that don't believe. The devil comes and snatches up seed. Think about those people that Jesus was talking to in parables. He's speaking to them in parables and what was their reaction? I don't need to learn more about this. This doesn't sound very important. I'm just going to go my way, and whatever seed was there has been snatched up and removed, and they'll never think about it again. Beware. Beware what you hear. It's the pathway soil. Notice what he says next in verse 16. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. This thin layer of topsoil. Who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time afterward when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. They stumble. They trip. Now, what is this saying here? What is Jesus trying to say? Well, think about this person. The seed goes into soil, the word goes in. So they not only hear it, but they receive it, unlike the pathway. It gets into the soil, but what's the problem? There's a vertical hindrance. It can't get deep, it's blocked. So the root never gets down to the depth of the soil where it will have stability. Notice what's said here. When they hear the word, they receive it with gladness. They have an emotional response to it. They get really excited. Have you ever been around this kind of person who when they profess faith in Christ, they get really happy? They get almost giddy. They wanna run home and tell everyone they know about what has happened in their life. They are so excited. And then you come to church three or five or eight weeks later, and they're not there anymore. And you call them up and you say, Brother, what happened? You were so excited. And they tell you exactly what happened, and it's exactly this. Persecution came. Difficulty came. Hardship came. And they had no root in themselves, Jesus says. No root in themselves. They had no stability because the word was heard, the word was received, but the word was not secured. It did not get deep. Now, let me just suggest one thing, I think, by way of application. What would keep the word from getting deep, from going all the way? I think one of the most significant things is self-centeredness, the failure of our wills to submit to the will of God. Why is it persecution that leads people to wander away, to abandon the Christian faith that they briefly professed? Because it's persecution and difficulty and trial and tribulation that makes it hurt. And there are many people that will come to Christ if they think their family will be benefited by it. There are many people who will come to Christ if they think their bank account will be helped by it. There are many people who will come to Christ if they think their standing in the community will be benefited by it. There's a good Christian man, and they'll come. And then what happens when they realize, "Uh uh-oh, my bank account hasn't been helped my kids have wandered away and gotten into trouble. My relationship in the community has been harmed, not helped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what? Those people, their root never got deep. What was the limestone rock? What was the bedrock preventing the root? It was themselves. It was their will. It was their stubbornness. It was their failure to surrender to the work of God. And they end up dead. Their spiritual life is utterly scorched and gone and lifeless. What is the point? The word not only has to be heard, it not only has to be received, it has to be secured by those who will surrender and submit to the king in the kingdom. Notice the next soil. Verse 18, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now notice this soil. It heard, it received, it secured. There was root in that soil. But what happens? It wasn't a vertical hindrance under the ground. It was a horizontal hindrance around the seed. The thorns were around it. And what thorns does Jesus say these were? Notice what he says. The cares of this world. Do you know what the, literally the idea of this is? It is the worries and the anxieties of this present life. In other words, Jesus isn't talking about bad things here. He's talking about everyday things. Friends, what do you worry about? If you're a normal human being, you naturally worry about a lot of things. We worry about our kids. We worry about our retirement. We worry about our job. We worry about our health. We worry about our friend relationships. We worry about our political situation. We worry about our community and what's going on around it. We worry about what's going on in our church. They are cares that relate to today, to this life. They are the stuff of now, not forever. Do you remember what Jesus said to those of us who tend to worry about a lot? He says, don't worry about anything. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Do you know what the Peter Magnuson paraphrase of that? You let me worry about the other stuff. You just worry about my kingdom. You worry about my things and I'll worry about your things. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't worry. Now what's he saying about this parable? The seed goes in. And what happens? There's another hindrance because people are worried about normal things, everyday things, the kind of things we all are tempted to worry about. Not only that, look what else he says. Not just the cares of this world, these anxieties of today, but also the deceitfulness of riches. Notice the emphasis here. Riches are deceivers. They are liars. Money, wealth... Riches is a lie. What is it telling you? It's telling you that your life is all about today and getting as good as good can. Riches tell you you deserve this. Riches tell you you've got security now because you've got the money that you need. It's a liar. And Jesus says the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. By doing what? By convincing you to focus on what money allows you to do. By convincing you that life and its fulfillment will be coming in either getting the money that you've already wanted or spending it. And friends, do you, you only need look at Instagram? You need only look at Facebook. You need only look at our social media and the way we live our life to see we have an entire generation of those who are materially prosperous who have decided that is what ultimately will be fulfilling. That is what will be satisfying, and they pursue it. Do you know some of those very same people are in church every Sunday? Some of those very same people would say, I believe in the things of Jesus Christ. And yet they have been choked in their life. There is utterly no life spiritually in them because their focus, their direction has been rooted in what their riches, in what their prosperity is doing for them. Notice Jesus says next, not only the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things, just the cravings, desires, that the world tells us this is the good way, this is the good life, this is the high life. Pursue this, invest in this. And Jesus says, that kind of soil will never produce fruit for my kingdom They don't know what it is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto them. So in other words, not only must the seed be heard, not only must the seed be received in, not only must the seed be secured in a root But the seed must have obstacles removed from it, distractions removed from around it, even good things, even non-evil things, normal, everyday things. Jesus says, you better watch out. You better watch out. That leaves only one soil left. Look with me at verse number 21. or Excuse me, verse 20. And these are they which are sown on good ground, Such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Friend, I just want you to notice something. There's nothing about the ground that suggests it's special. The sower didn't come and put some special pH level in that soil. He didn't come and put some special fertilizer in that soil. What is the difference between this soil and the other ones? It has no hindrances. It doesn't have packed down soil. The word can be received after it's heard. It doesn't have only a thin layer of topsoil. There's no vertical hindrance so the word can take root. There's no horizontal hindrance by the distraction of the thorns and so it has room to spread and to grow. And what is the characteristic of good ground? It's not anything positively affirmative about that. It's simply the absence of what is negative. It doesn't have hindrances. It doesn't have obstacles. Friend, here's the point. The seed is going to do what the seed does. As long as the seed doesn't have hindrances. The seed is the one that creates the power, not the soil. The seed is the one that springs up and has a dramatic multiplying effect. It's the seed that matters. And what's the problem? It's just whether the soil is going to say, I'm all yours, seed. I'm all yours. There's no distraction. There's no hindrance. There's no obstacle. That's good ground. And Jesus is saying, when my word, when my seed goes down into that life that is ready to open up and allow the seed to do what seeds do, expect a miraculous, Return on investment. Friend, we could put it this way. To fulfill its purpose, the powerful seed needs unhindered reception. To fulfill its purpose, the powerful seed, the word of God, needs unhindered reception. And to my mind, that is the main point that Jesus is trying to communicate in this parable if his seed, his word, is going to have its effect, it needs unhindered reception in the hearts and lives of men and women. And that leads finally to some principles that I want to draw out for us to consider as we close here this morning. If that's the point, if that's the purpose, if that's what Jesus is draw, driving at here in this parable, what does it mean for you and for me? The first thing is for this, and most directly. Friends, have you received the word of Jesus Christ in an unhindered heart? I do not doubt for a second here that there may be someone here and you are a soil that has never received the seed and been transformed by it in salvation. You may not know Jesus Christ as your Savior you may be in a time of great enthusiasm in your spiritual life, but there's no root and it will be revealed one day. You may be those among the thorns and your word is being choked out. It is not producing life-giving fruit of a, of a true Christian who has been born again by the Spirit of God. Friends, have you received the word of God from Jesus Christ and embraced it with everything you have? I just plead with you this morning, my friend, if you have not, don't leave this door without getting down on your knees and crying out and saying, I want that word, I want that seed to go down in unhindered, unobstructed form and bear fruit in my life. Jesus, I am yours. That's first and foremost. Do not leave here if you are not, have not received the word if you have not secured the word in root and if you are not seeking to clear out the obstacles to it but what about those of you who know that the seed has fallen on good ground not for your own goodness but because god has done a work in you he's the one who's cleared a pathway of repentance you have bowed before him and accepted the gospel it would be good for all of us to test ourselves this morning Does my spiritual life look like one of these obstacles? Is my fruit being hindered by the cares of this life, by my anxiety over everyday life? Is my fruit being hindered by distractions, even of things that aren't bad in and of themselves? Am I giving my life over to entertainment, to hobbies, to things that I, if I were being honest with myself, I would say those are hindering you. The word is not having full effect in your life because you're too distracted. If that's you today, Christian, it's time for you to say, what needs to get cut out? What thorn bushes need to be chopped down today in my life? What kind of anxieties and cares do I need to go give to Jesus Christ today and say, I'm all yours. Let me seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What kind of soil do I have in my Christian life? But there's another point here I think that's very meaningful, not only for us as individuals, but for us as a church. Because I want us to see something about what Jesus has done here. Why did the greatest preacher who ever lived have so few followers, ultimately devoted, true, sincere followers? And why was he so, if you will, in a sense, almost comfortable? He just threw out the seed. And it fell where it fell. And it went where it went. And it sprung up where it sprung up. Do you notice something about Jesus here? Notice what he says here in verse 14. He says, the sower sows the word. Who's the sower? Well, Jesus is the sower. But I think he intentionally didn't say that he was the only sower. Do you know who also is a sower? You? If you're a Christian? Me? We're sowers. We're going out to sow if we're fulfilling the great commission that Jesus gave us. We're taking the seed and we're scattering it. What are we doing here as a church? We're here on the corner of Park and Franklin in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And what are we doing? We're scattering seed. Yesterday, I was scattering some seed in my yard, trying to patch up some places that needed extra grass, and I had one of those sowers. I had one of those seed distributors. You roll on the ground, and it scatters the seed. And I had that picture in my mind as I was preparing for my sermon this morning. That's who we are as a church. By God's grace, what our heart should be is to be like one of those scattering seeds that are throwing seeds out from this place as far as we can and as fast as we can. Why? Because it's the seed that gets down into hearts. It's the seed that makes the difference. It's the seed that produces life. Friends, some of us have a seed distributor, but we've never pulled on the handle so any seed comes out. We're going through life not even dropping one seed after another. The fear of man has closed us up. It's shut our mouths. It's affected our influence. Some of us are letting out a little bit of seed. It's only going a foot or two away from the distributor. But some of us, praise God, are going and you're seeking to broadcast it as far as you can. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged if some falls among thorns. Don't be discouraged if some falls on stony places. Don't be discouraged if some falls by the pathside. This parable teaches us that it's not about you. It's not about you. Have you ever wondered why this sower was throwing seeds among thorns? You say, that's a waste. That seems reckless. Why would he be throwing it on stony ground? Because that's who the sower is. Because we have a generous God who throws his seed everywhere because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is a generous God in sowing his seed. And if you and I are like him in fulfilling the Great Commission, if this church is like him, we're going to throw seed everywhere that we can and not worry about the soil that it lands on. We're just going to broadcast the seed. Friends, this week, would you pray for God's help in broadcasting as much seed as you possibly can? Don't look at the person that you're sending it to and say, well, I don't know that they're going to receive it. Let's try again later. No, just broadcast the seed. Just throw it out. And let God deal with the soil of the hearts. There's one more point. Who ultimately are we trusting in to create a response? Who is the only one that can create good soil? The Spirit of God. You know, friends, today in our churches, I think there is... A spirit that has entered that can be very destructive and very, very mistaken. The idea that we need to modify the seed to make it more palatable to the different soils that are in this neighborhood. We need to use entertainment We need to use a kind of certain energy and attraction that will draw people into our churches. We need to de-emphasize parts of the seed and, and, and over-emphasize other parts of the seed. Why? Because we need a response. That's not the method of Jesus. Jesus says, here's the seed. You take it or leave it. Jesus said, here's the truth. I'm not shaving off one part over here or adding another part over here. Here's the truth. I'm not trying to draw you in by entertainment. I'm not trying to draw you in by secular attractions. I'm not trying to draw you in by promises of prosperity and health and overwhelming blessing. Jesus says, here's the seed. And friends, if we're going to be faithful to God's word here at this church, we're not going to try to manipulate the seed to create a reaction. We're going to trust the Spirit of God to say, we're going to cast out the seed as much as we can and we're going to trust you by your Holy Spirit to bring people to repentance and to bring them to a full understanding of the things of God that will bear fruit in their lives. Friends, what's the point? The point is that to fulfill its purpose The powerful word of God needs unhindered reception in our lives. And my encouragement to each one of you today is to ask yourself, what reception, what hearing, and what hindrance is affecting my reception of God's word? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is a seed It goes down into human hearts and it creates an effect if we allow it to work. And I pray this morning, Father, for even one person here who has never embraced Jesus Christ, who has never allowed the word to go into their heart to bring about repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. I pray that today your spirit would plow out good soil. May your word be received. May it be secured in a deep root. And may ultimately it produce much fruit.